Hello and welcome to Chats the Television Podcast Season 9, Better Off Chats. My name is Alan and I'm joined by the man who has a body like a young Mark Spitz. It's Magellan! Oh, <laughs> uh, hey, what's up? I pride myself on this body. I love this you, body. You could you could spit you could spit on this body. Mark Spitz. Eat off of it. That's what I say. Ew. Who is my it's he's like an Olympic swimmer, right? I don't what? know. Who said that in the episode again? I forget. The general says it to Ted. Oh yeah, you've got a body like a young Mark Spitz. Let's see if I'm offended or former competitive flattered. swimmer, nine time Olympic champion. You should be take that. He was the most successful athlete oh. at the Munich Olympics. Oh shoot. Wow, he's toned. He is toned. That's what swimmer body is like. It's kind of messed okay. up. He's got a nice unibrow as well. Wow, yeah. The photos of him in the seventies. Wow, wow. Nice mustache. Nobody told him to shave that mustache for the water. It probably slows you down. And then Michael Phelps tried to recreate a Mark Spitz photo. Ugh. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I get Ew. Uh, yeah. Michael. You ever think about Michael Phelps' like weird swimmer body? How how weird that looks? His body is so long. That's yeah, like, he, he's a long a man. Yeah. Um, I I like I like swimming. I don't know. Um <laughs> <laughs> No matter how natural I am in the intro, as soon as it comes time to to put it even a, a little bit, I'm like <laughs> um hi guys it's chats magellan how are you we haven't done a lot of small talk in a while what's going on pal i'm doing just i'm doing just fine just i think fine. i've said i think i've said that before but i'm doing just fine it's sort of a gray day uh you know kind of wrong side of the bed this morning but i'm i'm here and i'm having fun recording i have a long weekend this weekend we're recording a week in advance so that's pretty nice i um, love that for us I love it for us too. I love us. Whoa! I love this. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone? I, you don't have to answer this honestly if you don't want to. Uh, Has anyone ever okay. sincerely said I love that? I love this. Um, not those words. I don't think so. Okay. Like this. Like this moment we're in. This place that we're in. Um. Obviously, someone's been like, "Oh, I love this." I mean, I'm sure that people have expressed that sentiment. Sure. Yeah, but I don't think anybody. <laughs> Has ever kind of like pulled their head back and looked at me and been like, "I'd love this." I love this, <laughs> which maybe more people should do. You know, perhaps, perhaps. Although it does, it can come off if it's like a a friend or something, and you're having a nice lunch with a friend, and they're like, "I love this." It's like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> what sort of body snatcher situation am I in right now? Exactly. But I guess we just need to be more genuine with each other. Well, you mean more genuine? People are always surprised. At how genuine uh, I can be if given the right, if I have like the right energy, and I come up to them and I'm like, "Hey, what's up? How's it going?" They're like, <laughs> people people <laughs> balk at that sometimes. People are like uh, yeah. intimidated by that power sometimes. But mm. life is very short, Magellan, and mm-hmm. so why not use your energy to bring positivity and warmth to the world and talk about television shows? Okay, I'd love to. That sounds like a great idea. Fantastic. Well, let's do it. We're here to talk about the 2009 sitcom Better Off Ted. And this week on Better Off Chats, we watched uh, season one, episodes five and six, uh, Win Some, Dose Some, as well as Goodbye, Mr. Chips. First up is episode five, Win Some, Dose Some. Uh, This episode was written by Elijah Aaron and Jordan Young, two writers we haven't heard of before, who I should have looked up before the podcast, and I didn't look up before the podcast. And okay. that's where we're at it's right okay. now. Okay, I forgive you. Elijah Aaron worked on Recess and BoJack Horseman and Raising Hope. <laughs> wow, what a weird career! <laughs> nice, that's fun. What a good career! And yeah. then Jordan Young, obviously, who could forget uh, the Jordan Young Institute? That's <laughs> Jordan Young. Jordan Young writer, and it's gonna give me a writer who's young named Jordan. I promise. <laughs> Also worked on BoJack and Drawn Together. Oh, my God. I remember oh, they, Drawn Together, dude. Maybe they're writing partners or something on BoJack. Yes. I, I, right. I don't think I ever watched Drawn Together. I'm sorry. I can't go with you on that journey. I, I, it would just be on, and I'd be like, I don't think I'm old enough for this because I was like two when it came out. Oh, it's one of those dirty cartoons. Yeah, it? yeah. It's one of those nasty cartoons. Yeah, I've definitely seen ads for that, that nasty cartoon. It's like, like, this is gross. I'm going to watch my, my cartoons now. Exactly. I'm going to watch my, my real cartoons. Yeah. Um, this was directed as always by Michael Fresco and it aired April 13th, 2009. But Dylan, can you tell me what happens in Winsome Dose Some, please? I would love to. Sorry, I got distracted looking up Hamtaro. Um, okay. <laughs> as one does. 
In this episode, Linda is accidentally dosed with an experimental drug that gives her bursts of energy and unexpected side effects. Ted and Veronica try to outdo each other while helping Rose with a school fundraiser. Alan, what'd you think of Winsome Dose Zone? Oh, Magellan, I'm glad you asked. I don't know, dude. <laughs> I didn't ask how you were at the beginning of the episode, so I feel like I had to ask you at least this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Questions are questions welcome. Characters welcome. Um, <laughs> I'm doing okay, uh, and I thought this episode was quite good, not amazing. Okay. How come? Uh, because the Ted, uh, the competition stuff does successfully bring to f- bring forward this like uh, this theme of better off Ted that like capitalism and competition uh, are inherently like evil and uh, put people against each other when they just don't have to be. We fundamentally think that we are competitive types because we are presented with competition, but we don't need to be like that. There's an alternative, which is just yeah. cooperation and altruism. Right, and I think what it's proposing or trying to propose is marriage. The is marriage, yes, please marry me. Um, is that you know the characters who are competitive, like Ted and Veronica, would say that it brings out the best in people, and I think this episode is trying to say like actually it brings out the worst in people when they have to be competitive. Um, but you know we can we can talk about that. Yeah. Um. So you thought it was good overall. Yeah, I I got a good amount of laughs out of this one. I feel like first episode syndrome, you're naturally gonna like your first episode a lot, right? It's the mm-hmm. rule. But I just it, I feel like I I I've settled into like yeah, Better Off Ted's a good show. It's fun, and um, the little bits here and there where it, like it changes are what that's where all the meat is, like all, where it changes mm-hmm. from the standard formula deviates. But um, no, overall this one doesn't deviate too much. It's pretty straight down the line. Yeah. So yeah, the the theme of the episode, both laid out in the Viridian Dynamics commercial in the middle and by Ted at the beginning, is this idea of competition, right? And him sort of positing that competition is a good thing. Um, businesses need competition. The commercial in the middle is like it gives us great things, like pills that look like candy. Or <laughs> <laughs> my favorite one was like a new hurricane-proof breed of dog or yeah. something like yeah. that. Yeah, finally. Um, yeah, and so kind of a central idea of the episode, yeah, is is uh, making fun of people who think competition is good. And I'm wondering what you thought about like how this episode kind of made its point. Do you feel like it successfully satirized competition? Well, so to run down the, the basic plot of it, like when we get into the the Ted and Veronica plot uh Rose Ted's daughter has a competition that she has at her school where mm-hmm. she has to sell a bunch of Christmas wrapping paper because presumably getting close to the holiday season I guess and uh she's trying to beat everybody else in her class but she finds out that one of the students is disabled and she feels bad and is getting teased at school for doing that so she's like I don't want to win anymore and Ted's like no it's only fair if we still compete against her like she's like everyone else um, which is true in theory. It's a little bit big of a concept for a child to understand. So I kind of take the side of Rose in this case where it's like, just let her lose the stupid thing. And he right. does end up doing that. He ends up basically uh, airdropping a bunch of gifts to the military uh, under the other girl's name. Um, but yeah, in terms of like what that has to say about competition, I think it's just more like, yeah, sometimes you have to put your pride away and just be a nice person. And, you know... Yeah. Fresco and then them were, were saying like how much this series is about like separating the work and home life. And I think the competitive culture of reading dynamics can be kind mm-hmm. of toxic and bleed into your home life a little bit. Yeah. Like I've known parents who will use their kids like spelling competitions or, you know, obviously beauty pageants have a lot of like basis in the parent wanting to win things they couldn't win as a kid. So there's an aspect of that to it where Ted just likes succeeding. He gets a lot mm-hmm. of satisfaction out of that, even if it's not for himself. So yeah. it's, it's more about that conflict than it is specifically like competition is bad. Yeah, I that's kind of where I was um, uncertain about how I felt about like, you know, if we're if we're analyzing Better Off Ted as a work of satire as opposed to a work of like it's a fun show. Yeah, I think there are times where um, the satirical points that it's making are somewhat muddled because um, because it's not ultimately saying that competition is a bad thing it's 
if that were the case, then the plot would be something like Ted is so competitive and he to Rose is like, you only sold six. And then at some point she's like, dad, like, this is awful. You're being horrible. And I don't like it when you're like this. And it would be more about the kind of the quality of Ted's where he's super competitive and how that like bothers his daughter. Mm -hmm. And instead it just ends up being like, you shouldn't be competitive against a disabled person. And that's like where the line is drawn, which to me felt not great. It felt not great. Yeah. Because then it's not about Ted being introspective that much about his competitiveness. He sort of is because he's like, Oh, I was really going to crush this girl, but now I'm not going to, but it still is this very circumstantial thing that ultimately, like you were saying, uh, you know, maybe you should just compete with everybody equally and not be sort of like, I don't know, condescending about letting people win. Well, I think um, what's important is that Rose doesn't tell him, like, I don't want to beat this girl because she's in a wheelchair. She says it's because people are making are like teasing me for trying to beat a girl who's in a wheelchair. So she's like more worried about the societal implication of doing it than she's about the moral. I think it's obvious. It's obviously a little bit of both because we know Rose is a pretty Mm -hmm. moral character, but it is still for her. Like I'm being made fun of by this thing that my dad is now making me do, which is a common like crappy parent thing that you have to deal with, especially at like Rose's age specifically. True. Kids are mean, dude. Kids are very judgmental. Yeah. Um, If anything, I think it's almost unrealistic to say that people are making fun of her for doing this, but uh, these kids have uh, like such a one-on-one yeah. moral uh, compass that they're just like, oh, wheelchair, you don't do that. That's bad. Yeah, but also, like I, I think I've said, I don't know if I've said in this series or not, but I recently watched through all of Malcolm in the Middle, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff with the character Stevie in Malcolm in the Middle where he has asthma, he's in a wheelchair, and, you know, like a big part of the pilot episode is a bully accidentally punches Stevie and all of a sudden, all of the students turn against that bully. Like, oh, my God, you can't hit a kid in a wheelchair. That's like, that's the final straw. So I think it's indicative of just, you know, and I think where this episode kind of is successful in the satire is showing how hard it is as a parent to kind of teach your kids lessons about how to treat people that acknowledge the diversity of people's abilities. Um among other factors yes because those parents are all probably like hey little billy whatever you do be nice to people who are in wheelchairs and he's like okay mom i will and ted's agonizing over like that scene where he's talking to rose and he's like listen you know we treat everybody equally we don't treat disabled people different but they do get their own parking spot so hmm, yeah yeah they talk about all that that stuff giving you right now isn't that treating them differently is not giving them special treatment yeah Yeah, and so I do think the episode makes somewhat of a point there of like, hey, as a parent, navigating how to communicate this nuance with your child is difficult, in part because adults also don't always have like a fully nuanced, respectful understanding of these things themselves. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 played for for a big laugh when they're like, he's trying to tell Veronica, like, I feel bad about this. And she's like, he's like, I think this is wrong. She goes, how should I know it's wrong? I'm not some Greek philosopher. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and then right. she basically he's like, oh, Rose says it's bad. And she's like, OK, then don't do it. And he goes, oh, she's no help. I taught her that everyone should be treated equally. She's like, all right, well, then treat everyone equally. And he's like, you're not supposed to really do that. You're just supposed to teach it, which <laughs> yeah. is hilarious, but also is the theme of like this. A lot of the series, too, is like, right. Uh, do as I say, not as I do the, the, right, the parenting exactly. technique, because yeah. he doesn't want to follow that. He still wants to win. Uh, but it's hard to square, circle that square when you're trying to be a good dad. Yeah. Is it this episode where they have no? I think it's the second one. Where they have Ro- like they have everyone come to his house and he like closes sec- Rose's ears. That's the next one. Yeah. yeah, it's the second one. Yeah, yeah. I'm always I'm always interested in just in like the ways that Ted navigates being a parent to Rose and and like trying to be good, but knowing that he wants to follow his base instincts more often. We've talked about that a lot. Like he's a little, mm-hmm. um, I guess self centered is the word, or just self focused. Yeah. Hmm. And I think this is this episode is kind of at times him at his most bratty when yeah, he's like yeah. competing with Veronica and he's manipulating people just to sell wrapping paper. It's kind of ugly. You're like, ooh, Ted, why 
why are you doing this? Why are you doing this sort of like tag team con job with Veronica on all the employees of Viridian Dynamics? Um, so I didn't really like Ted in this episode. Very no, definitely. Much. The, yeah. the, there, there's good comedy too with um, with the wrapping paper gag and how they're selling it like well at, for, at, at first when they're trying to sell it it's like he's treating it like they're the person buying it is being undercut and he's like we can't sell for that little and the woman's like too late veronica already promised me and then, then they like high five because <laughs> they're you know doing dirty business yeah. but then later when veronica's trying to to sell all of the wrapping paper she just literally <laughs> yeah. turns it into stocks and yeah. she's talking about divesting and like it's going to accrue interest and you'll be able to sell it for much more down the line if you buy a lot <laughs> now yeah, and the guy's like, that's how I bought my house. Sounds good to me. <laughs> it's like, this is right uh, as the Great Recession is hitting, so that feels pretty topical. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. People are people are, are, are doing a lot of, making a lot of bad investments. Um, but yeah. yeah we're, they, and we're seeing those bad investments ha- like have their effect. Or rather, at yeah. This, at this time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so like that plot, you know, it kind of follows its path. Um, I did think it, we we need to talk about the the general the sort of like threat yeah. hanging over Ted for this episode is uh, either he sells what is the ultimatum? It's like you either help if Rose yeah. So wins. basically, the idea is uh, Ted makes a deal with Veronica. He's like, help me, help me sell stuff for Rose. If Rose wins, I'll have dinner with the general. If Rose loses, then I won't. And this and is part the, of a deal, like a part of a military contract. To, to I think they're talking about yeah. like nuclear ovens or nuclear. Uh, yeah, microwaves. they're trying to sell solar powered ovens, but they happen to be like toxic ovens. This happened to me. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, um, which is another example of the show being so casual about the sort of military industrial complex stuff in yes. a way where I'm like, this is not cute anymore. This is guys. depressing. Yeah, this is really upsetting. But the thing with the general is that the general clearly has like a thing for Ted and he hits on Ted a lot. Um, So yeah, I'm curious. We see a flashback with him and then Ted ends up going with dinner to him because now that he's trying to lose, Veronica is still trying really hard to make Rose win. And he's like, okay, Veronica, I need you to stop. I'll go have dinner with the general. And then we see that scene. So what did you think of (laughs) this general character? The buildup kind of made me laugh, right? When they're talking yeah. about, oh, he like sniffs me, and it's like a little weird that they're hinting at it. Mm-hmm. I just feel like once we got to the dinner, we leaned fully into the predatory gauge man trope, yeah. uh, where he's like, "You have such a nice body," and like he's trying not to be explicit about it, but he super is. And you know, in two thousand nine, you can see this as like skewering the military and the "don't ask, don't tell" stuff and all that. Like, what mm, if sure. this gruff, like old general, was actually like an effeminate gay? Not effeminate, even, but just a um, like out gaming, like very gay, yeah. Um, but in that way, that is such a harmful trope in in media, which is like, yeah, he's doing this not at the behest of Ted. He's using it like the way, and an older film maybe like a straight man would do this to a woman, where it's like mm-hmm. hey, I'm gonna have her to dinner so that I can like ogle her and flirt with her and hopefully get her into bed like that kind of thing. Like he's ostensibly yeah. doing that to Ted, and I think you know, considering for the time, that seems a little bit progressive, maybe, but it really doesn't age well. It really just skeeves me out and makes me like, this is the kind of like subtly harmful uh, borderline, like queer phobic type of like comedy that gives it a bad image. Right. Um, So that it's already like an existing stereotype at this time. I'm sure that like queer people and queer men especially are like, overly sexual you know yeah, or and predatory like and they're all in the, in the or like everyone in the army is gay and like all this stuff yeah so it definitely i mean we've talked before you and i about how when you go back and watch weekend update from like 2007 or something and you see like i don't know the jokes that they make are like this person's gay but it's totally cool but isn't it funny that gay people exist and it kind of we don't judge this, them, ha, but what, but people do. That sucks that people do that. Right. So this kind of feels like that where uh where Ted's like, "Hey, I'm he basically he says almost word for word, "Hey, I'm okay with gay people, but yeah, he like but... hits on me." And it it made me think about, you know, if you were to if we're sticking on the gender binary for a second, if yeah, you were I to always am, baby. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> if you were to flip the genders of uh, some of the characters in here, like if Ted was a female character and the general was a male character, and Veronica would... was a male, telling him to do this, by the way, right? Then it wouldn't it wouldn't be funny at all, right? Um, if Ted is still male and the general is female, then that also wouldn't be that funny, and it would be kind of I don't know, like, oh, this very powerful woman is hitting on me a lot. Like, I don't think someone would write that plot. And so it's really telling that they feel that it's inherently funny that they're two male characters and one of them is, like, so on top of the other one, you know? Yes, yes. Like, it's a a safe comedy space in 2009, which I think just says a lot about um, how people were thinking about these issues at that time. Yeah, it's 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 quite disappointing, and you know, I don't know if I could expect better from the show because, you know, already we have like Phil and Lem who are like a really cool guy guy pal pairing, but the show never truly leans far enough into them being anything more than that. Um, so it's just like, oh, I guess this is what we get, right? This is the representation that 2009 is here to give us is this like predatory military man. Yeah. Um, I do actually want to briefly shout out a line early in the episode that gave me pause, uh, which is from Lem, I think, uh, when they're talking about competition and they come first pan over to the laboratory before we get into the B plot. And, uh, you know, they're throwing hypodermic needles at the ceiling mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're trying to count the points. And then he goes, it's still wobbling and it can't come out for at least a minute. <laughs> Same rules as for losing your virginity. Right. I don't. What's the read? <laughs> I don't even know. It's nothing. It's a it's a gag. I know. It's like not. Yeah, it's anything. just a gag. I mean, I think it's just like these guys have barely had sex. But also, Lem had two girlfriends at once a couple episodes ago. So exactly. Who knows what's going on? There. Nick sent us a really great gif of the scene where he gets like dragged into a room by the two of them. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Fantastic yeah. work. Um, but yeah, I I thought that was really strange, and that brings us to our uh less complicated but i mean you could also sorry you could also have like a queer reading of that line is you know if these guys are sort of like closeted men who forced themselves to you know have sex with a woman when they were you know of virginity losing age or whatever yeah and it was like an unpleasant experience for them but it's like okay i did it that could also be what it is but i think it is just like a gag I, I wish it wasn't a gag. Is is really what it comes down to, right? Well, we can have the reading that they're yeah. That's what headcanon is for. Each other, that's exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but so they're playing with hypodermic needles, and Linda comes in to ask them something, and one of them eventually turns around and falls straight into her shoulder, her lady shoulder. Lem later refers to it as because he pulls <laughs> in, he goes, "That's <laughs> your lady shoulder." <laughs> I laughed out loud. They make a good point immediately. They're like, "I'm I'm thinking, oh god, tetanus," and they're like, "We only ever play the the needle game with clean needles." Yeah, they call it the clean needle game. The clean needle game, yeah. <laughs> just clean to, needles. Like, don't worry about that. The, the, this this scene very deliberately is like, don't worry about get her getting inju- injected with a drug, and don't worry about her getting tetanus. None of that is the problem. Don't look at that. Instead, right. we'll put a bandage on it. And even though they call it a Band-Aid, which I was like, no, wait. I thought you guys know. Band-Aid's the brand. <laughs> um, they, they put the bandage on her, and she leaves, and then they realize that they put drugs in the bandage. Yeah, uh, that was such a funny bait and switch to me. That I the love whole it. scene, you're on pins and needles, and they they I think what really sells it is that there's so much cinematography invested in the needles in the ceiling because they do that great shot where they're throwing the needles up and you're like looking at them and then swoop up and see it stick into the ceiling. And then there's that that shot where the needle falls and, and you watch it flip in slow motion. So the whole time you as a viewer are like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, what's in the needle? And then they're like, yeah, it wasn't the needle. It was this other thing that you didn't even, you barely saw. And that was the thing. That was the big problem. Right. All the, all the setup and build up for the needle. And yeah. it's like, oh no, it goes like, when you told me we could make a, an experimental energy patch that looks exactly like a bandaid, I said we couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's very suspicious. So yeah. Linda basically turns into me when I have a second coffee during the day for this entire episode. <laughs> She's like super hyperactive and not even just like energetic moving around, but like uh, manic. She's like very happy. And- yeah. She's really up and down for the rest of the episode yeah, yeah which speaking of harmful tropes 
uh, there's yeah. a pretty common trope, right, of like women in media being portrayed as as uh, quote unquote flighty, overly emotional, uh, moody, and giving her a drug that does that, and then being like, it's the drug, feels like one step away from getting it, from realizing that that's the trope. But you still are just doing. Yeah, there was a weird line. I was curious about what you thought of this line where so she has her the first thing we see from her is she's like super excited in the meeting she's like we can do it we're the best and everyone's like what the hell and then phil and them chase her down and tackle her and it's like she acts like it's a whole game or whatever and they take the patch and then the next time they see her she's sobbing over a bagel (laughs) oh my god that monologue this is actually really funny um, when she's like the suffering of the Jewish people and they were able to give us this, the everything ba- bagel. <laughs> it has everything you would want in a bagel. Um, and uh, and then she like snaps at them and gets mad at them and she leaves. And then there's this line where Phil and Lem are like, huh, do you think that that could be related to the patch? And then the other one is like, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, this is the problem with always testing things on drunk frat guys. And it's like, what's the... Wait, what was the... What was, yeah, what was the commentary there, guys? <laughs> like, Yeah. Are you saying that Phil and Lem think that it could just be because she's a woman? I, I don't know if that was the read or if they were trying to make fun of drunk frat guys, but they didn't do it quite right. It was weird. And then she starts... The reason I think it it, it is more sexist than not is then it's like and then they go over her house and she's like baking cookies for them because like yeah it's a lot of female coded things exactly and she like steals a baby from the next door neighbor exactly yeah right uh which again plenty of comedy in there right like the 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 cookie stuff i kind of liked seeing a new set by the way um yeah yeah and i also this is the first time i've seen a set in a sitcom and not been like wait why how can they afford that because i do think that linda can afford like a nice country apartment yeah, that uh, looks like her apartment. Yeah. yeah, it's not like absurdly large uh, or anything like that. And I'm sure she makes decent money. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's like her neighbor or something who has a baby and mm-hmm. she wants to steal it because it's crying a lot. And she writes her name on it. And then there's like a line later where she's like, uh, it turns out you can't just have something by putting your name on it like a baby. And then Ted is like, yeah, that's I think I think you need a notary. <laughs> for, you have to get babies <laughs> yeah, that notarized. Was, that was pretty funny. Um, so like yeah, lots of lots of like comedy comes out of this, but again, it really is just like uh, Linda acting emotional. Yeah, again, it is sort of. I mean, like the something you can say for the general stuff is like some of those lines are well written for the joke. It's just that the joke is like deeply problematic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the same thing is true of this plot, where like Linda says some funny stuff, um, but then when you when you dig into it, you're like, hmm, this, yeah, they're they're kind of making her do these sort of like stereotypical female emotional things and then not really commenting on it. It's just this sort of romp of like, ah, she has a drug that makes her emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the whole thing. And it also is a bummer that it feels like they're just sort of writing Linda in however it makes sense for that particular episode. You know, she's yeah, because, she's a little too inflexible, or too, yeah, too flexible rather. Yeah, because Ted and Veronica, I feel like, are pretty fully realized characters in the writing, and Phil and Lem have their thing where they're just like they can be a little inconsistent, but as long as they're sort of like buddies with each other, it's fun. And then Linda, they just sort of write. Sometimes it's like, oh, she's this sort of starry-eyed. She has a big crush on Ted, and sometimes she's like, hey, I'm I'm the sassy lady who could do sex to you real good if you wanted to and then one episode she's like i'm really bitter and and wish that you were jealous and Mm. and then this episode it's like and now i'm on drugs (laughs) you know um and i feel like we linda is sort of the character who is the least consistent in the way that she's written which is kind of upsetting i feel like i always end up liking the characters like that though i don't know why i just like find myself enjoying uh andrea anders's performance no matter what they put her in yeah i think she does a great job yeah but i definitely definitely agree that it's 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 a little tropey and to just have like the girl be like that it gets you a lot of good film line moments though too you know like that's the the sort of uh, the good and bad of this episode 
is my yeah. hardest laugh of either of these episodes was when she takes the she's getting ready to take the baby. She's <sighs> like, "This ends now." <laughs> and uh, I think it's Phil who's like, uh, "He's like, Linda, you can't hurt a baby." And Lem's like, "Well, you can't hurt them. They're not indestructible." And he's like, "I mean, it's morally indefensible. What if the baby killed a man?" You and your moral puzzles. I just love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. I laughed really hard. That's at that cackling. Too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's great, and I think Andrea Anders has a lot of fun with the sort of flip on a dime emotional changes that she has to go through. Uh, like when she's like, "I've been so emotional lately," and then they're about to say something, and she's like, "Why don't you shut up and stop trying to analyze me?" <laughs> <laughs> they haven't even spoken yet. <laughs> or when she's like gawking over Veronica's calves, and then also mocks her for not having washed her hands coming out of the bathroom. And... Yeah, pee pee on your hands. <laughs> yeah. And then, oh, you said before we started recording, your favorite moment from that scene was when she's mimicking everyone, and then she's like, "I'm Linda. This is what I sound like." <laughs> she's Way, like, "Hey, hey. <laughs> so Look at me, I'm Linda. I'm making fun of everyone." <laughs> so it's it's like a really fun plot to watch. But then, you know, if we have to go through the exercise here on our critical podcast where we analyze things and think about like what's the message, the message is at best kind of uh irresponsible and at worst uh somewhat sexist and and she tries to get her comeuppance at the end because um you know phil and lem try to give her something or i think to or they finally get rid of the patch and think like oh it should have worn off by now and uh she's like itching her back and then she's like can you guys check this out and she like she glued a bunch of feathers to her back and they can't tell so they're like oh god (laughs) did we accidentally give her the thing that makes her grow feathers and then she like in explaining to them like what could happen she's like yeah then maybe i would do something like i don't know glue feathers to my back and they don't get it and then she laughs at them and leaves and like that's her her triumph as she walks away like itching feathers off her back deeply strange but at least she gets the the sort of one up at the end of this um you know uh, compared to everything else uh I also just love when she's talking to Veronica in the midst of all of this. And she's like, like you said, criticizing her for going to the bathroom and not washing her hands. But she like is like not flirting with Veronica, but like complimenting all of her like physical attributes. Like you have mm-hmm. incredible calves and you're so pretty. And like, I can make my hair look like yours. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm Veronica and I'm hot and I'm like really talented. And I'm like, does Linda have like a low key crush on Veronica that she's not talking about? Well, and then the episode ends with Veronica being like, you're obsessed with me, Linda. I like, I like that Linda about you. It. Right. Because <laughs> no matter how much she insults her, she's like, I remember all I remember is that you said my, my calves are nice. <laughs> like, yeah, that's funny. She only knows how to take the compliments, which I wish I could be like that. Uh, I, I idolize Veronica in a lot of ways, but mm-hmm. hey, that's how it goes. Um and I think the other, the only other like avenue of comedy that I really liked in this one was like Veronica and Ted's back and forth um, as they're doing like the rose gift wrapping stuff. And every time they try to be like, all right, you're going to be Batman. I'm going to be Robin. She's like, nope, I, but I'm Batman. And he's like, wait, then I'm, and she's like, I'm also Robin. <laughs> <laughs> and then later when she's like, oh, we're going to be, he's like, we're going to get in the ring and start like boxing it out. And she's like, I'm Ali and everyone else and Mike Tyson. And <laughs> like, you don't get to be yeah. anybody cool. Yeah. Just like a child playing like pretend with his friends and being like, but I get to be Superman <laughs> and I win every time. Yeah, it's uh, this is a good episode for Ted Veronica shippers. Oh, yeah, because they uh, they seem to have some sort of bond that Ted doesn't really share with anybody else. The bummer is that that's like more of a there's more fodder. I forget what the actual shipping term is, but there's more uh, like ammo for that ship than there is just a Ted and Linda one other than the Ted and Linda one is canon. But who cares about canon? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to think that they did all that like Ted Linda stuff in the first couple episodes. They just wouldn't have to do any of it again. They just locked it in and they're like, all right, you're, you get it. You don't need to see that anymore. Yeah. They just very solidly were like, okay, let's make sure everybody knows this isn't going to happen. All right. Now we're done. Yeah. Makes sense. And I think and that's why they it would that. get in the way of the comedy more often or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's the episode. Did you have any other stray lines you wanted to shout out? Uh, the the only other line here that I haven't said yet is when they're having the meeting about the solar-powered ovens and they're talking about how it, the plastic leaches um, toxins. Veronica says, some days it seems like everything everything we do leaches toxins. Leaches toxins? <laughs> I thought that was good. Everything but causes cancer and everything leaches it. toxins. That's very true. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, yeah, is that mm, okay? Well, I have no. I have to have some lines in here. Yeah, the 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 stuff about about disabled people where they're like, we don't see them. We just pretend they don't exist. That's how we know that we're all about equality here at Reading Dynamics. We don't even think about disabled people. Like the more and more hypocrisy towards the corporation. That stuff's fantastic. And no, I think that's basically it. And I, yeah, I really also liked that uh, Linda talking about the Jewish people having a tumultuous history. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's good. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. It's a bit of a bummer, some of the plot stuff, but definitely some good laughs and, you know, yeah. fairly memorable. Um, but yeah, let's uh, take it to a musical break. And when we come back, we will be discussing Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Viridian Dynamics. Individuals. We believe everyone is special, irreplaceable, and will follow the thing walking in front of it. That's why we celebrate all individuals, even ones going nowhere. Viridian Dynamics, because you can't spell individual without Viridian. And you, and an L. Welcome back to Better Off Chats. The second episode we watched this week was Season 1, Episode 6 of Better Off Ted, entitled Goodbye, Mr. Chips. It was written by Becky Mann and Audra Seelif, directed by Michael Spiller. Oh, hey, <gasps> Michael Spiller from Scrubs. Michael Spiller! Wow. The Spiller is here, yep. Um, <laughs> Alan and I listened to a Scrubs podcast. Can the, you tell? The Scrubs podcast, in case you didn't know. Uh, it originally aired on April twenty second, 2009. And Alan, what took place in Goodbye, Mr. Chips? Uh, several things, John. For one, a computer error may cost Ted his job. <gasps> but Linda and the scientists in the lab come up with a plan to save him. Holy shoot. Becky Mann and Audra Siloff, uh both worked on another writing duo. Uh, Modern Family, The Real O'Neills, One Day at a Time, and Rules of Engagement. So they're, all, they're sitcom people. And Spiller also, a sitcom director. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, this episode's it's a little bit different structurally for be for better off Tad. Better off Tad. For bot. For bot. Um yeah, this is a different bot episode, if you ask me. It's just a little bit more focused. I think that gets in the way of the humor, but I also appreciate like a plot a sort of like more plot heavy, if you want to call it that, episode. It's still mm-hmm. funny. It's very different. What'd you think? I thought that it was pretty good. I for both of these episodes, I definitely like them more the second time I watched them, because mm-hmm. um, I was I don't know if I was paying more attention or I just noticed more things or what. Um, but yeah, this one was kind of like not as laugh out loud funny for me, but it was definitely very cathartic because it focuses on. Uh, this sort of like fu to the bureaucracy of Viridian Dynamics, um, and just those frustrations of like, why is this a problem? Come on, just the whole thing centering around the fact that Ted's ID badge is wrong, and he knows his own name, and he's like, come on, just fix it. And but the system has to reset, and the badges and the HR, and it's all like, ugh. And you it's really real just bureaucratic wish... hell. This is a def- the textbook example of bureaucratic hell. Yeah, and you do wish sometimes that you could just sort of put all your problems strapped to someone on a jetpack and send them into space, and they would somehow fix themselves. Which, right, uh, is a is nice for that reason. It's wish fulfillment, yeah. But yeah, I think like getting getting the scientists to help Ted out and all that stuff, and like the the almost Ocean's Eleven level of heist that they, they perform is is really entertaining and gives everybody something to do. Kind of like lets you play with the cast more than we're used to in the show. It's kind of like these six people are the whole cast and this is like, no, there's like scientists and Dr. Bama's still here. We have continuity a little bit. So, I, you know, I appreciate it stretching its legs a little bit there. Um, definitely feel really weird considering that my job also works in security badges for government <laughs> employees. Um, so a lot of the problems that are presented in this episode are like kind of real and like based in a, in a reality, but are obviously dramatized and made ridiculous. Like you wouldn't delete. He, when, when the, the thing that sets it all off is that, uh, you know, he's getting, he's trying to get in somewhere and he sees that his ID badge says Ted chips. So he's the titular <laughs> Mr. Chips this time. And, uh, 
it's he makes a big deal about like I have to go request a new one uh and the woman is like looking at him and then she goes oh I just didn't hit anything and it deleted your whole profile like that's the part where you're like <laughs> yeah. this can't happen yeah. he says he goes what do you mean deleted me can you relete me <laughs> yeah. yeah um and then she's like oh yeah you got to go through the HR thing and just his solution basically being that he will reapply for his own job interview for his own job and yeah, and when he suggests when he suggests that she's like, "Finally, you're saying something that yeah, makes you're saying sense. something that makes sense." <laughs> I love that she was really good, just like playing against yeah. him really well. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, uh, because he can't get into the lab to help out the R and D people, uh, Linda is tasked with taking over for like leadership there, and mm-hmm. she's not a leadership type, but she makes a point later that the reason she isn't good at it is not because she's not a good leader but because she doesn't care about the job so when yeah. it comes to like leading them to help out ted because she cares about him it's like she does great they're really happy with her but she just doesn't care about freedom dynamics very much so yeah she's like i don't know how to tell you guys to do your day your dang job um but you get but you get uh film lamb you get dr bomba you get the woman whose name i never got the like patricia lady, patricia mm-hmm. um who's really fun i cracked up every time she's like linda dead people exist (laughs) people die linda ask my dead neighbor (laughs) yeah because she's she's like threatening linda basically right yes yeah like you you will die so that i can have ted yeah exactly and then you know i think i i did say last episode that if it was a woman who was the general hitting on ted it wouldn't be funny but actually i do think it's kind of funny the whole patricia is like madly in love with him thing well it doesn't seem it's not as predatory it's not as like gross right because the status is different because she like works for him as opposed to yeah yeah senpai won't notice me sort of thing right (laughs) he's a crass metaphor um I like when someone is like, oh, he, he, you know, it's Ted. He'll be there. He's Ted. He's more likely hitting a home run or stopping a robbery, which is like if you looked at a picture of Jay Harrington and you're like, what do you think this guy does for a living? <laughs> you would be like, that's either a baseball player or a superhero. There's no other option for a clean cut white guy. Um, I miss Dr. Bomba. I feel like this cast is just really fun. Like I want to see more of Patricia and then Bomba, obviously. Um, I would love maybe even a spinoff with just like the scientists. Because I think that there's enough interplay between the four of them that you could do something yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Because um, science people are fuck are so weird. Like, <laughs> oh, our best friend Jim is is a, a a physics grad student, and like he is not not to say that he's weird, but he's definitely like an eclectic type, and that's one of the things I love about him. But uh-huh. every like science person I've met is like very obsessed with their craft and and very like uh, passionate about it. But that can lead to outsiders being like, "Why are you?" <laughs> the way you are sure um so ted gets oh go ahead ahead. no go ahead he's getting pushed out of his office by jim for marketing uh and then we get the viridian dynamic (laughs) that scene by the way where he goes into his office and then it's like who are you and the guy's like they told me to this is my office there's actually a scene like that in the first episode of andy richter controls the universe really andy richter goes into his office but it's the guy who plays phil who's in there and he's like they they told me this is my office so it's oh, like it's kind of a different and that's like how they meet basically oh, so i don't I like know that. if it's a reference or just a somehow great minds because um victor fresco didn't write this episode so maybe but just because the just fresco mike mike fresco or whatever was like yeah i just thought it was an it interesting connection mm-hmm. but good catch um yeah, so he realizes that he has to get his ID back, and instead of doing the application thing, he's going to shut down the whole Viridian Dynamics like power mm-hmm. IT infrastructure. And yeah, when I think the biggest easy. moment of like screw this bureaucracy is when he goes to Veronica and he's like, "Okay, I'm applying for my job," and she's like, "Okay, I have to interview you. <laughs> That's how this works." Um, and she's clearly the end of the episode with her like saving the day. Clearly contextualizes this scene as like she just likes to screw with ted yes and 100%. it's like actually fun for her to pretend that it's this annoying thing and she has to interview him but actually she really likes it yeah um 
So I just thought that that was kind of endearing on the second watch where she's like, well, it's going to take all day. And, you know, it's other people really apply because they saw an opening. So, yeah. You and she's calling him by his middle name, <laughs> which is Margaret. Margaret. Pronounced Margaret. Yeah. Um, and that I just thought was a really fun little interaction. Margaret means lamb of God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought that she... I mean, she's just always fantastic, right? But um, yeah. yeah, the Verdine Dynamics had this episode didn't like really impress me. It's about individuals and how we we support at Verdine Dynamics. Everyone can be individuals, even yeah, the ones who aren't quick. going anywhere. Right, it was just sort of a quick thing. And then the ending was kind of funny, uh, but not fully in the voice of the Verdine Dynamics commercials, uh-huh. where it's like, you can't spell individual without Viridian and you and an L. L. <laughs> Which is like a little too self-aware, I think, for yeah. those commercials. I hope those don't get too weird, but it's a really hard thing to nail, like a fake commercial, uh, and keep it funny. I mean, check out think about Bug Waffles, which is a thing you can listen to on our Patreon. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I I'm curious like how far those are gonna get. If like in season two, those are gonna get really self-aware or what? I don't know. Yeah. Um. But we get that stuff. And then we get introduced to the security guard, Ryan, who's really weird and kind of feels like he's on a different show sometimes. Um, Because they're talking about how they need yeah. to break in. And the way that the plan is that uh, Linda is going to distract Ryan, the guard, who has Ted's badge uh, at his desk. And then Ted's going to take it and use it to get into the mainframe or whatever. Uh, and... It's this whole scene where she's like trying to be flirtatious, but she's bad at it. And she's like, oh, look at my boobs. This reminds me of the time I was in the shower and there were sorority girls. The the line is so funny where uh, he's like, you got a problem with your card? And she's like, no, it's these damn breaths of mine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's really, really funny. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, oh, also when they're planning the heist and they're all in plain clothes in like Ted's house, by the way, except Dr. Bomba, who's in a fucking full suit. Um, yeah. And he's it was like, unsettling to see Ted in a hoodie with no socks or shoes on. That it's yeah. Like, oh, boy. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's barefoot yeah. Ted. This Ted is King. cash. Cash Ted. Um, and they have this like blueprint on the table and they're like using Rose's toys to be each person. So uh uh, Linda is like a Barbie doll and Ryan the guard is like a fuzzy doll and then perfect casting Ted as a Ken doll mm-hmm. uh, Ted gets his badge they flirt with Ryan she flirts with Ryan the guard kind of successfully kind of not uh, talking about her boobs D- Lem does like a really cool stunt at one point where they're like sneaking around and he like jumps over he jumps some stairs. over the thing yeah there, that wasn't a double that was that was, that was not a cowboy switch that was like a part that had I think that was the actor yeah, there's no way it couldn't have been. That was just my Malcolm Barrett doing that. Yeah, yeah just it did a jump. Um, yeah. Also, the little touch, because they don't find the idea at first, and Ted's digging through Ryan's drawer, and he's, he's a drawer just full of hot tamales. It's <laughs> a really specific candy for a guard to what have was, in his desk. What was that? that? He also had a drawer, when Ted opened it, it was just two gloves. Two blue gloves, yeah. What was that? He like opened it and lingered <laughs> on it and then closed it? Is there something being implied there? I didn't quite understand. He stopped. No, he. I, I'm watching it right now. He opens it, closes it, and then opens it again for a millisecond. Like, wait, what the fuck was that? But there's nothing. Like, what could that be? That he has two gloves. I don't really. I think understand the, that. I think the mystery is funnier than the answer. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Like you he t- he used these gloves and then took them off and then put them in a drawer all by themselves. <laughs> he kept the drawer for just those. Yeah. For some reason. Exactly. Um. And then he goes back to get his badge and Linda's like, oh no, uh, my boobs. Uh, they're finally about to get in and then Dr. Obama gives everyone up and he's like, I caught them doing bad stuff. <laughs> they tried getting <laughs> past me. Uh, so they get caught. They think they're in big trouble. They're not. It turns out Veronica is cool. Um, I forget where we go from here. Mm. So oh, then nice. they all get brought up to Veronica's office and she yells at them. Yes. And has that great moment where she's like, it's so fun watching Veronica be this sort of like prankster character kind of, because there's the one scene earlier where she, where Ted's like, come on, the company's loyal to me or whatever. And she's like, Ted, companies don't care about you. I learned that when I was like eight. Eight. And then in this scene, she says, okay, well, you've all disappointed me and that's punishment enough. And then everybody gets up to leave. And she says, I'm kidding. Get in here. (laughs) 
She yells at them for yeah. 30 minutes straight. And then it ends up with uh, when they go to do the launch for the jetpack, she puts a, what she says is a parachute on Lem. And she has this great line where she's like legal asked for this. And he says, at the height I'm going, a parachute would be useless. And she says, not from a legal standpoint. (laughs) (laughs) um, Straps it to him. And then we find out that actually it was her plan to fill that pouch with ID badges. So that when Lem goes up up and explodes, um, the computer is overloaded with illogical information, which is like the most deus ex machina explanation of how computers work. It's like that episode of The Prisoner. Yes, it's right. General. <laughs> I I feel like what people don't understand about computers is you have to kind of tell them what's logical in order to break their understanding of logic. Yeah. So someone would have had to tell this computer like, "Hey, by the way, it doesn't make sense for people to go into the sky or for people to uh be in the same exact spot at the same time." Yeah, yeah. But they wouldn't have bothered with that. And also, how does the computer know how fast someone could go into the sky? You know, it's silly. But anyway, it works. And then the the computer reboots itself. And now Ted is back in the system because Veronica does this because they were her boss was like, hey, let's replace Ted. Yeah. With a business school student who's who costs half as much or a third as much. <laughs> or something like that. Um, um, yeah. So I was just going to say, like, speaking about the badge tracking stuff, uh, people think that that's like weird sci fi stuff. And I don't know. I'm sure. There are some, especially like federal government. I don't work in federal government, but there's like federal government badges that are literally tracked wherever they go. It's uh-huh. more like you can't tap a door with a badge without someone somewhere having that, knowing where you are. That's like for tracking yeah. reasons. And in the case of like a pandemic, that's for contact tracing. That's why. So you can track badges in real life. That's not sci-fi, but I don't right. know about like everywhere you go. Um. Also, right. I just loved when he does finally, they do like turn the power off and they call it the reboot heard around the world. So you watch like the Viridian Dynamics building shut off from like <laughs> a live action shot from far away, uh, a building turn off, a space station turn off, <laughs> and like an oil rig turns off and mm-hmm. then comes back on. Um, I thought that was really cool. Just like, again, reminding us that Viridian Dynamics is not a single office, but it's a mega corp. Um, and then Veronica ends up being the hero which I appreciate. Yeah, that was nice. Yeah. They get some cup. Uh, There's a line in here um, talking about like whether or not he's capable of pulling off a caper. And she says he couldn't pull off a caper if it was sitting on a plate of locks, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And then they, and then they throw cupcakes off the 20th floor window. Cause there was earlier, there was a joke about a crash test dummy being tested by -hmm. throwing it out of a window. And they're like, the window's still open. We're going to throw cupcakes off and try to hit people with it, which is fun. Yeah. It's just like that Scrubs episode where they uh, golf off the roof. Right. Yeah. Thanks, Spiller. Uh, um, but yeah, yeah, this this episode kind of, I'm struggling to think of really what else to say about it beyond that sort of summary that we just did. Yeah. Um, because, again, you know, when you think about like the themes of the episodes and from a satirical perspective, what is it saying about business and capitalism? It is that sort of like light, flimsy theme from the commercial, the Viridian Dynamics commercial of corporations don't care about you. But as Veronica says, that's like, duh, <laughs> of yeah. course, that's such a basic critique, you know, that um, there isn't really a lot of meat to this one. And the previous one, I think, too, it, you know, there's a critique to be had about competition and like the inherent badness of competition that the episode ultimately doesn't make um whereas in this episode uh it's just so self-evident the thing that's bad um that it almost like isn't that satirical you know what i mean Um, yeah it's just like ted's idea doesn't work and we fixed it by going on a heist that's it yeah so I don't know, but it is kind of fun to see the cast rally around him and and like him. Um, I do think it was telling when Linda asks him, how do you be a good leader? And he says all this stuff about like, you listen to people and then you you consider the options and you make a firm decision. And she's like, okay, but what do you actually do? And he's like, well, 
people care more about tone than words oh. and also i have candy in my pocket um which oh yeah when linda's like is... linda's like don't listen to the words i'm saying pay attention to the tone <laughs> yeah right and then someone's like linda's tone is right <laughs> <laughs> um but you know that's telling about what the kind of um the inherently manipulative side of ted's personality that yeah he he likes the people he works with and it seems like that is the point that's made at the end of the episode but he also pretty shamelessly is like yeah i know how to make people do what i want them to do i just sort of act confident and say things in a certain way and then people love me and that's just how it works yeah and sometimes that's it just of, is that gross right right um, so I had a couple of stray lines from this one that I really liked, just if you don't mind. Sure. Um, when they're confirming Ted's last name, he's like, the woman asks him, are you sure it's Ted Crisp? And he says, I think I know my last name. It's the one thing my father and I agree on. Which <laughs> <laughs> is a really like layered line if you really like dig in and think about it. It's got yeah. a lot going on. Definitely makes sense that Ted has father issues, for it's, sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, the fact that the scientists are attracted not by work incentive but by caramels and so yeah like when linda's like i'm showing leadership they're like "Uh uh-huh and she's like i also have caramels they're like oh they like walk like they're Mm five-year-olds and then finally uh i just again really enjoy linda uh when ted later is like you didn't really help linda with the whole heist and she's like hey my boobs worked their ass off (laughs) (laughs) i like imagining that yeah um but that's what i got there is one stray line that i uh didn't bother to write down in its entirety, but people should go back and watch it if they haven't, which is there's a moment where Dr. Bamba is getting frustrated that everybody's wondering where Ted is. And he's like, we're scientists. We're not people who study all of the variables in an empirical way <laughs> to, determine, <laughs> to determine, like, you know, takeaways about things with particular events or whatever, Yep, which is exactly what science is. Um uh, and I just thought that that was like a he's so good, um, ironic, he's so funny good. line. Yeah, he's he's really fun to watch. And that little like uh, salute that he does to Rose when she's like, "Oh, you're Doctor Bamba, right? You're the awful one." And he's like, "Ha ha, yeah, Hello. that's me." Uh, I thought that was pretty pretty charming as well. Yeah, but yeah, I think this episode ends up being uh, entertaining. Is the sort of like best uh, best thing you can ascribe to it. And it's not particularly, I don't think that there's anything particularly like intriguing going on here necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. just like good. Um, agreed. Yeah. So uh, I think that brings us to our, our, our next segment. Uh, what are we watching next time on Better Off Chats, Magellan? Great question. So next time we're actually going to have a couple guests with us, which is yeah. going to be fun. Yep. And uh, they're they're friends of ours who, if you're loyal Chats listeners, you've heard them uh, somewhere. So you can sort of ruminate on that and try to think about who it might be. Meow. And with them, we are watching episodes seven and eight of season one of Better Off Ted. First, we're watching episode seven, Get Happy. A survey reveals that Viridian employees are miserable. (laughs) Shock. And then episode eight, You Are the Boss of Me. Ted and Veronica try mingling with the worker bees with mixed results. Love, love, love that Better Off Ted's the kind of show where I don't genuinely know if that means the low-level employees or literal bees. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's a beautiful show. Yeah. Also, yeah, the PSA for, for anybody who works in a corporate environment, if you are ever given a survey that asks how you feel about the job and it quotes claims to be an anonymous survey, it be is careful. not an anonymous yep. survey. Yep, be careful. Just be aware of that. And I haven't experienced that myself. That's just something I've I've been told that I'm like, I want people to know in case they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in that case, John, I think it's time for us to bring it to the plug zone. Let's do it. We don't have. A, I put all of our budget this this season into the Chatsums bumper, so we don't have a plug zone bumper yet. But yeah. okay, that's fine. I can I can do a bumper and do it. Okay, you ready for the yeah. plugs, 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 plugs? <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to get in contact with the show, you can do so in a few different ways. You can email us at chatspot at gmail dot com. You can also follow us on Twitter, tweet at us, DM us. Uh, over at Chatspod on Twitter. 
And in both of those places, you can send us questions, comments, suggestions. Or if you would like to be on the show, we would love to have listeners join us to discuss episodes of Better Off Ted. It could be that you've seen the show before and you have a particular favorite episode. Or it could be that you're watching Better Off Ted with us for the first time and they're just things that we're missing or, or things that you think you could bring to the conversation. Or you just want to hang out with us. All those, all those uh, options are cool. If you'd like to join fellow Chats Pod listeners in discussing old seasons, you can do that at reddit.com slash r slash Chats Pod. We are nearing the end of a rewatch of Farscape, which we watched for our very first season of Chats television podcast, Scape Chats, all the way back in 2016. Wow. Can you believe it? No. We've been going for so long. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And that also means that, by the way, there are years of other chats pod shows that you can go back and dig into if you are new to the podcast uh this this particular episode please uh in order to help people find the show consider rating us on apple podcasts or your podcast player of choice it just helps for people to find us and that helps us to have more people listening and and things like that and if you'd like to directly support the show with your cash money from your pocket you can do so at patreon.com slash chats pod where depending on your tier of support, you get access to different potential rewards. So at a dollar a month, you get some old movie commentaries that we did a while ago, as well as my currently running solo coverage of the X-Files called The Chats Files. At $3 a month, you get three bonus episodes per month. They could be us piloting other shows, us doing movie commentaries, or us doing whatever we feel like. And at $5 a month, there are some old episodes that you can only have access to at 5 So $5 is for those Chats Pod completionists and uh, the super fans who we super love. We don't do personal plugs on here because this is the thing that we do. So, um, Although, actually, Alan, would you like to do a, a personal plug for another podcast you're on that just recently is coming back oh, into existence? Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Um, it's not my official chat sum, but uh, I want to do an actual plug for another podcast that I'm on that just restarted recently. Longtime chats listeners will know that uh, about two years ago, I started on a podcast with my friend Six uh, who called The Garnet Wager, where we watched this really awesome Korean game show called The Genius. We talked about it every week. Um, we watched all three seasons of The Genius, and then we brought on our friend Nick to talk about another Korean game show recommended to us called Crime Scene. Uh, and we ended that back in like March of last year. And we're back now uh, with the Genius Season 4, uh, which is called All Stars. So uh, the Garnet Wager is back. We're playing silly games and we have weird competitions. And there's like a little bit of lore and uh, some weirdness. It's in some ways a reality TV discussion podcast. In other ways, it is an improv comedy podcast. But in all ways, it is a lot of fun. And I think you should check it out. It's called The Garnet Wager. It's found wherever you listen to podcasts. You should watch The Genius because it's an extremely good game show and listen to The Garnet Wager. Thank you, Magellan, for this opportunity. Yeah, of course. Uh, also, every week, we like to give you a little something to snack on between now and next time if you're looking for some additional pop culture experiences. And uh, we both have one of those, a chatsum, as we call them. So, Alan, what's your chatsum for this week? Well, um, Six actually recommended this one to me, folks. Um, I haven't had a good idle game to play in a while. I've been, like, getting way back into phone games recently. I don't know why. I'm just, like, getting comfortable and, like, playing games in bed. Um, this game called Poke Clicker. Uh, launched pretty recently there was like a bunch of different versions on like uh, github like the original developer worked on it but um right now you can go to pokeclicker.com and basically play a clicker version of pokemon and if you don't know what a clicker is it's basically a game that you run either in a browser or on your phone and it involves you simply clicking the screen to make things happen in this case you're battling and capturing pokemon and going through dungeons and stuff um and it's got enough systems to keep you interested for at least a good while also, it covers, like, all of Pokemon, I think. Uh, Six was telling me that they got to Hoenn recently. So, like, you go through the routes, and then you go to the gym and fight the gym leaders by clicking really fast. And you can also leave it idle, because the game, the more you play it, the more, it, you know, with other clickers, like, it gets better at at playing itself. So, I left it on overnight, and now I have a lot of money, and I'm going to go beat Serena up real good and 
if you like Pokemon and you want something idle to do while you're like working at your boring office job or something, uh, check out PokeClicker. It's harmless. It's free. It's fun. It's fresh. It's uh, one of those. What about you, Megan? I like to call him John Megan sometimes, guys. I'm playing PokeClicker. I've defeated enough Pokemon on this route so I can now advance to the next route. Oh, shoot. By clicking on the map. Okay. Yep. Okay, it's great. I guess I will. Cool. So that's PokeClicker. Um, for me, it's another Nintendo-related uh, free experience for those of you who have a Nintendo Switch. I've been really on a Mario kick lately, as I've been saying. I think I said this last week. But I this past week got really into super mario bros 35 which is currently a free game on the switch that's available for a limited time and uh, it's created by the same people who made tetris 99 which i've never played myself but maybe people have heard about that Mm -hmm. Um, but essentially the premise of super mario bros 35 is that you on your switch screen are playing the original nes super mario bros game And when you kill enemies in your game, they get sent to other people's games and vice versa. And then it becomes this sort of like, I guess you could say a battle royale experience where you are trying to last the longest as you're getting random enemies that sometimes don't belong in the world that you're in thrown into your world and you're gathering power-ups and coins and and stuff like that. Um, And it's a really fun loop to go through and to kind of like test yourself and challenge yourself to see if you can win and yesterday i got my first uh my first first place finish so oh it was awesome your first mario royale heck yeah very exciting yeah i um i definitely like mario 35 a lot it's weird it takes some getting used to if you've played like super mario brothers and you're like wait this is not you don't go to like world four in the warp zone in one two and then right it's it's not about completing the game it's about like looping through the easy levels but very good yeah yeah. You're going to get really good at level 1-1, one, one, folks. I promise you that. Yeah, right. Or die trying. <laughs> um, also, uh, Mario 35 is one of those weird Nintendo limited releases. So if you're listening to this after March of 2021, you can't download it anymore. So that's silly. Nintendo's weird with like their... Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be part of Mario's 35th anniversary. That's the whole like push behind it. But yeah, it's a limited download. So if you're hearing this after that, sorry. If they honestly just... Nintendo, if you're listening... Hi, I'm Nintendo. If you put out a game that was like all of the NES and Super NES Mario platformers and you could do this online multiplayer thing, I would buy that game. Well, that's all. They're all in the packs, in the NES and SNES packs, but they're not... I don't know if they're online. Right, right, right. That's what I'm saying. It's like with... Because I have those packs, so I could play the games, but I'm saying if... Like, this is a particular experience that I would pay to for sure be able to have beyond their deadline date i just want to play uh what's the best mario game oh 3d world that's coming out eventually yeah next year yeah all right well great now i have no other mario thing to complain that they won't give me <laughs> cool well just all everybody. the mario parties on switch if i could have a pack of all the mario parties that but there already existed. is one they don't want to take away from sales of the new one even though it's boring yeah well that's what i'm saying uh, i see what you're saying yeah Cool. Well, Majalan, thank you, as always, for being the rock to my hard place. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Better Off Chats. Peace.